It's a beautiful day in sunny Southern California, sitting in the Doable Discipleship Studio, looking out at cars driving by, trees swaying in the breeze, trying to just be mindful of the moment. Ah, Jason, how are you today? I'm good, and I don't know if you purposefully said mindful. Only at the last millisecond did it strike me that I could I could make them I could say something a mindful. Good tie-in, yeah. but you know what? It is a, it is a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. This is a Saddleback Church podcast, as you know, designed to help you deepen your friendship with God, but we like to call it the show that helps you practice mindfulness. Today, we have a special guest named Dr. Charles Stone, who's going to be joining us over the phone. We are really excited to talk to him. Uh, He's written a book that we're going to be looking at uh, in just a minute. I'll get to that. But Dr. Stone's been a pastor for 35 years, actually more than that now, I believe. Um, Yeah, 40. yeah. Yeah, I think he's actually closer to 40 now. Got to update that bio on the book. Uh, he's been a pastor here in the U.S. and in Canada. He's married to the love of his life, Cheryl. Uh, he and Cheryl have three grown children and three grandbabies that they just love. Yeah, and uh, he has authored five books. He blogs at charlesstone.com. And uh, just a little bit about him, his hobby, which is learning, uh, has motivated him to earn four academic degrees. I can't imagine He just keeps stacking them up. (laughs) His passion, which is intersecting neuroscience and biblical truth, has led him to continue postgraduate study in that field. Yeah. The book we're looking at today, one of his five, is called Holy Noticing. Uh, The subtitle is The The Bible, Your Brain, and the Mindful Space Between Moments, Uh, a book that Jason and I have really enjoyed. Yeah. Um, We're thrilled to talk with him. He's going to be talking to us about what Christian mindfulness looks like. Uh, learning to live with God in the space between moments. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, so stick around and uh, give us a warm welcome for Dr. Charles Stone. Well, Charles, thanks so much for, for being on the show with us today. We really appreciate your time. Oh, great to be with you. Let, let's just start off with a little bit of uh, a little bit of bio about you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, and especially what what are the passions that really that really get you going and drive your work? Yeah, well, you bet. Well, I've been in uh, ministry, vocational ministry, forty years in the states and in Canada. I'm up in Canada now. I've been here about six years. Hmm. Married to the delight of my life, my wife Shira. We got three adult kids, three grandkids, and one little dog. <laughs> and uh, love my family. But when it comes to outside of my family, I really love pastoring and preaching and teaching and leading. Mm. I really love working with pastors, helping pastors just be the best they can and you know, coaching, those kind of things. Yeah. But uh, a passion, I guess kind of a little niche that I believe God's calling me to, is to bring the conversation in the Christian world about this magnificent three-pound thing called the brain. <laughs> how we can, as we understand how it works... There's, there are profound implications on spiritual formation and leadership, the whole discipleship process. So that is really a passion that I have to bring that conversation in the forefront because there's so much we can learn that can impact our walk with Jesus and our leadership and our preaching and teaching. So that's mm-hmm. a key passion that I have. That's such an exciting field that, that you know, I think we're just just starting to be able to explore a little bit and to, to see the, the ways that brain structures and function um, you know, have such big implications for spiritual life. I'm so excited to see how that field continues to develop, and you've given us uh, a really great introduction to that in your book, I think. Well, thanks. 
Yeah. So we're talking today about your book, Holy Noticing, which the subtitle is The Bible, Your Brain, and the Mindful Space Between Moments. So exactly what you were just talking about, Charles. So what were the observations that inspired you to write this book? Well, it actually began in a high chair over 30 years ago. I was not <laughs> in the high chair. But my wife and I were visiting her family in Laurel, Mississippi, a little town in southern Mississippi on Christmas, or Christmas time. It was Christmas Day. Our youngest daughter, Tiffany, she was the one in the high chair. I was feeding her pureed peaches or something like that. And when I lifted up the spoon to her mouth, I noticed her left eye was quivering like jello. Hmm. Now, if you've got kids, that's going <laughs> to... You're going to freak out, which we oh, yeah. did. There was a pediatrician down the street uh, that um, the family knew. So we ran down there and had him look at Tiffany. He said, oh, it's probably something called a strabismus, which is basically a, a muscle issue in the eye that kids outgrow. We mm -hmm. said, when you get back to Atlanta, I started church in Atlanta. I said, just see a specialist. When we got back to Atlanta, saw a specialist. He said, oh, it's probably a strabismus, but let's take a CAT scan just in case. A few days later, took a CAT scan, and on the way home, as we literally, as I walked into our little rental home, the phone rang. I ran to the, to the kitchen, picked up the phone. It was the neurologist on the other end. He said, Mr. Stone, we have the result of the CAT scan. And I thought, that's kind of odd. That's pretty quick. He said, mm. your daughter has a lesion on her brain. Now, I'd mm. never heard that term before. I thought a lesion was, you know, take some antibiotics and it goes away. But then he said something that forever changed our lives. He says, your daughter has a brain tumor, hmm. one-year-old with a brain tumor. Our world dramatically changed. Now, yeah. fast forward 30 years ahead, she's had 10 brain surgeries, two devices put into her body and taken out, part of her brain removed, but she's now going to seminary studying to be a chaplain. Oh, that's incredible. So basically these past 30 years, we've lived in this neuroscience world, and I saw what happens when the brain is not working. In her case, it was a tumor. That began to... Uh, prompt questions in me, not that I thought I had a brain tumor, but as a, as a Christian and as a pastor, I practiced the spiritual disciplines, I preached, I studied the Bible, I memorized scripture, I fasted, I did all those kinds of things, but there was still something in me that was anxious and worried and fretful mm. that led me to be defensive as a, as a pastor. So asking those questions led me into this whole journey of un trying to understand okay, there are some things going on inside our brain and our minds that have profound impacts on our lives, our spiritual lives, and our leadership. And so that was really the genesis that mm. just brought me into this whole learning journey. What an interesting—and and first of all, it's, it's just so—it was wonderful to read in the book, and it's wonderful to hear that— that Tiffany's doing so well now. Yeah. So you, yeah. the way you wrote the book, you left us on a bit of a cliffhanger there, and you made us wait a little <laughs> while to figure out what happened. <laughs> um, but what an interesting, what an interesting turn of events that 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 what was going on in the brain of your daughter um, coincided with all the feelings of anxiety and the things that were going on in you, and that those two things got to be married so beautifully in in the work that you do now. Um, what what a what an interesting convergence of of um, of of the the biological brain life and the spiritual and emotional and mental life within. Uh, no, no question. You, you, you talk about in your book that mindfulness has become a really big deal in today's culture. It's, it's kind of, you know, we've got apps for it. We've got all kinds <laughs> of stuff. It's, it's, it's really become kind of a hot topic. But 
Could you talk just a little bit about what mindfulness looks like in culture and how that differs from what Christians mean historically when, when we talk about mindfulness? Yeah. Well, you mentioned apps. I think it was 2018 that Apple's app of the year was the mindfulness app. Oh, right. And, you know, everybody's doing it. Yeah. CEOs, famous athletes, and everybody. Yeah. And when I did the research for this, uh, uh, this book, probably I have currently about 140 books in my Kindle app on mindfulness and those kind of things. I read over in, in part or in whole over 200 research papers on mindfulness. And most of the, the books written today, the popular stuff written today, the vast majority is, is Buddhist-based. Mm-hmm. And or the goal is simply personal enhancement dealing with my emotions. And now there's no, no nothing wrong with doing practices that makes us healthier, our body healthier, and deal with our emotions. But I think what distinguishes what the current culture you read versus Christian mindfulness is really motive. I, I define mindfulness in this way. I define it as an art of holy noticing. That's how I define it, holy noticing. Noticing with a holy purpose. That's the distinctive difference. Noticing with a holy purpose, God in his handiwork, our relationships, and our inner world of thoughts and feelings. So mindfulness for the believer, I think that the biggest distinction outside of using Scripture and, and being biblically rooted is that our reason is that so we might really love God in a deeper way, follow Jesus more consistently, and, you know, Jesus says, love our neighbors ourselves. So I think that's the biggest distinctive mm. motive, the scriptural basis behind it, and, and there's also a, a deep historical basis as well for yes. Christian mindfulness. Mm. Yeah, it, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, too, in so in the way that so many other people talk about this kind of, uh, of mindfulness or these other types of practices, a lot of it is trying to just rid yourself of different thoughts in, in different ways and, and kind of like release and empty, whereas what you're talking about with holy noticing is kind of a filling of a more spirit-filled way of of looking, uh, of 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 embracing more of what God is doing in you and around you. Would you say that's that's kind of how it's been going? Absolutely. Yeah. Mindfulness from a Christian perspective is not being mindless, emptying your mind, but rather being mindful of God and His presence and His promises and the truths in Scripture and uh, the, the the mandates we have to love others. So it's not being mindless, but it is being mindful of the things of God. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, so you're grounding yourself in the realities of God rather than just sort of trying to get into a state of unreality and escaping yeah. life and your mental states and those kinds of things. Yeah. That's, exactly. a, that's right. a really important right. distinction. Yes, yeah, so you also talk about how important it is for us to access our emotional life and i'm sure as i say that's there are some people going like i don't want to access the emotional part of my life that sounds terrible so why does this emotional side of spirituality often feel so uncomfortable for people yeah well i think part of it just our our humanness and you already hinted at that we don't like some of our emotions and so the, if we can just kind of push them away or pretend like they're not there or squelch them we we feel like life is better when in reality Research tells us the more you try to push and stuff your difficult emotions, the stronger they get. It was interesting, one of the studies uh, that uh, has been very, very insightful, uh, researchers, and a lot of research is done on college campuses, you know, students will get 50 bucks if they participate in the study. What they did was, students came into the uh, research laboratory, they had to leave any 
any pens or pencils or paper or books or their iPhones or their watches, leave everything in one room and go to another room and simply be with their thoughts and emotions for 15 minutes. The difference was there was a little strap put around their ankle tied to a battery and a switch where they, they could ac- activate it. So if they wanted to push the switch, they could actually shock themselves. Well, over 50% of the participants shocked themselves because they couldn't stand being with their thoughts and emotions for 15 minutes, and one participant shocked himself over 190 times. Oh, oh my gosh. Crazy. Holy moly. Yes, yes. But we don't like being with our emotions. But from a biblical perspective, you look at the life of Jesus. Jesus experienced a full gamut of emotions. Now, he never sinfully used an emotion because he was, you know, he was perfect. But we see in the very life of Jesus these uh, raw emotions. We see it in, in, in the Psalms. David was very, very candid in sharing these emotions that he had. So it's part of our humanness, but because emotions actually physically hurt, we try to disregard them and push them away. And because oftentimes these emotions are tied to painful events in the past, we don't want to have to deal with those kinds of things. So it's mm. part of our fallenness uh, from, the, from the garden yeah, uh, and just our, our human nature of wanting to avoid them. And yet we see in Scripture this, this honest expression of and, and ownership of even these difficult emotions. Mm. Yeah, it's a really different way of approaching emotional life. I mean, each of us have certainly an impulse to um, sort of kind of close our eyes and turn away from the, the, the things inside us that, that may, that may uh, create pain or, um, you know, arouse um, responses to the hurts of the past, but we only harm ourselves further by doing that, which, which you kind of talked about some in the yeah. book. Um, so you, you kind of alluded to this a minute ago, that, that holy noticing is really at its heart a practice of self-awareness and God-awareness, uh, but, but let's talk briefly about the self-awareness side. Why, why is self-awareness such an important part of spiritual life of the believer? Yeah. Well, the way I view our, our makeup of how God created us, we are body, soul, and spirit. We're, we're this unified being. Yeah. Uh, and as Christians, we place our faith in Jesus. We have the promise of eternal life. And when our bodies wear out, our spirit, our soul goes to be with Jesus, and one day we're going to have brand new bodies. But on earth, we're this one kind of unified uh, being. Hmm. And because of that, the more we are self-aware, not just, un- not, I'm not talking about unhealthy introspection. You know, we can, we can go off the deep end and being so focused on what's going on inside, it's unhealthy. Hmm. But we can't divorce our self-awareness of what's going on in our bodies and our minds and our brains from our spiritual lives. Hmm. So I think one of the practices that mindfulness, holy noticing, gives us is the ability to be self-aware in a healthy way. And there are two key words, they're kind of big words, but they're, I think, two other senses that God gave us, besides, you know, touch, taste, smell, those, those senses. One big word's called metacognition. Now, it's a big mouthful, but it really means thinking about your thinking. Mm-hmm. God has given us the ability to step back and really ask ourselves and to think about, what am I thinking about? We don't do that enough. There is another one, fancy word, mouthful, called interoception. Basically, that means that we have the ability, the sense, to be able to sense what's going on inside our bodies. Hmm. So I think these are two senses that help create 
a greater awareness. And oftentimes what's going on inside of our bodies are clues and keys to some spiritual issues we need to deal with because mm-hmm. of that interconnectedness of body, soul, spirit. So I think it's important to, if, if we're going to really grow in our faith, that self-awareness is a vital part of it. Not unhealthy introspection, but a healthy introspection, which I believe in Christian mindfulness helps us be able to experience. I, I love your your focus on the the integrated nature of the human being. That, that for I think for certain times throughout history or in certain pockets of Christianity, we've sort of siloed off the different parts of what it is to be human. You know, there's my right. there's my body here, there's my mind there, there's my spirit there, and we we right. don't actually see ourselves as these integrated body mind spirit composites, and um, we don't really see ourselves as a unity of these of these natures or of these facets. And so then we, we, we mistakenly think that we can sort of just wall off what's going on in our emotional realm, for example, as if that will have no effect on the others. But in fact, to deny that part of you is to deny something that is integral to your very being. And there, there is no way to do that that doesn't come at a tremendous cost. So I love your description of just the human as a, as a unified being um, and, and that we we can understand ourselves more and more with time and with the help of the Holy Spirit, um, you know, sort of sort of gain a, a further grip on our inner life and submit that to, to Christ and his kingdom. Yeah, I, I, I think, too, it's like if we are called to grow in Christ-likeness, how, how are you— <laughs> like you have to be self-aware to or in, in order to know— how you are growing or if you are growing or what you are looking against, you know, you know, to be able to compare to, you have to, you know, be aware of what is going on within you internally, both body, soul, and mind. And that, and, and that's, you can't grow unless you can assess if you are growing. Like, yeah. 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 Like where am I in relation to Christ? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and, and the spiritual oh, yeah. life is very much affected. It's, it, there is very much an emotional component. I don't mean just being hyped up, you know, with in a worship service. I'm not talking about that. But there's right. part of who we are is the affect our emotions, and God created us that way. Yeah, that's yeah, so good. So good. Um, so we've talked a lot about different spiritual disciplines on our show, and and you say in your book. That holy noticing is, is is not meant to replace other disciplines, but to complement them. I was just wondering if if you can talk through a bit about what that looks like. What does it look like that holy noticing is a complement to other spiritual disciplines? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great question. Um, I think holy noticing or Christian mindfulness creates space for these disciplines to do some deep work. Now, the actual application, uh, you know, we can t- talk about this later if you'd like to, uh, develop what's called a breathe model. So it's basically some little simple steps you can go through to practice it. But what happens is as you're practicing this, in my quiet time, I'll set aside time for this, and then I go into Bible reading and prayer. But it's not like they're just partitioned off into certain zones, because as I go through this mindfulness process, intercessory prayer weaves in and out. Praise uh, weaves in and out. Confession weaves in and out. Scripture memory weaves in and out. Promptings by the Holy Spirit to go and do a, a good deed or, or make something right uh, or to serve someone weaves in and out. So it's not like you have these uh, buckets. Here's a mindfulness bucket. Over here, here's a scripture memory bucket. Over here, here's a prayer bucket. 
mindfulness uh, helps, I think, bring all of those disciplines together and weave them together and make them, I believe, even more meaningful and more more effective and more powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that idea. If, if it kind of creates this arena where all of these different spiritual disciplines can come into play and be kind of in harmony with another and all serve to grow you both in your self-awareness and in your God awareness. I think that's a really interesting mm-hmm. way of, of thinking about it. Yeah, I wonder if yeah, it... Yeah, arena's a great visual. Maybe, it, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, maybe it makes sense to say that this holy noticing approach allows you to approach the same disciplines in a different state, you know, so you you just approach them in a different manner than you would maybe in the past or before you took on this holy noticing, uh, you know, approach to life. I think that'd be fair to say. It almost could be in sort of the front door, kind of the side door approach. So, yeah, I think that'd be true. Now, I want I want listeners to, to go and get your book so they can dig into all this stuff more deeply. Um, but would you mind just, just very briefly walking us through the breathe model that, that you describe and how it relates to Luke 252? Sure. You bet. Well, I, I based... Um, this model on the word breathe. Scripture talks about breath from Genesis when God breathed into Adam to when the early church started. Mm-hmm. Jesus breathed and the Holy Spirit came. So breath is throughout the Bible. It's also a neutral thing about us. It's also easy to remember. And so the breathe model, basically each letter stands for a component of mindfulness, and each letter is a reminder for a simple little exercise. So I'll just kind of go through which each one stands for. B stands for body R stands for relationship, E stands for environment, A stands for affect, another word for emotion, T stands for thinking or thoughts, H stands for heart, and the E is, is not a tag on, but it actually is when we go, we actually live this out. It's Mindfulness is certainly something you do like your devotional time, but it doesn't stop there. It's really living it out. So mm-hmm. fundamentally, each one of these, B stands for body, means to ponder and yield your body. So each one of these is really a check-in, is in uh, observing what's going on in that area and then yielding that over to the Lord. Be body, ponder and yield your body. R, relationships, review and renew your relationships. E, environment, notice and engage your environment, kind of where you currently are. A, label and release your afflictive emotions. He observe and submit your thoughts, and then he search and surrender your heart. So fundamentally, it's being aware of each of these areas and then turning those back over to the Lord, yielding them back to him. And in mm-hmm. each one of these, I have a, a little exercise and a little visual that kind of prompts the, the, our memory to, um, our minds to remember what they are. And it's really, it's a simple tool. Once you spend a few minutes with it, it's a very simple tool that you can practice in your devotional time or practice during the week. You know, after after a board meeting, that it goes away. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, I, um, as Doug said, we, we really want our listeners to pick up this book and, and look in depth at this Breathe model. Um, it, it, it truly looks like something that is easily adoptable, but also can just have major effects on how you approach this, this act of... Uh, of mindfulness and just learning to take this time throughout the day and sit in stillness and in mindfulness. So highly encourage that. Um, what, so, so say somebody is like, yes, I, I am going to pick this up. I want to adopt this breathe model. Um, 
what are some common obstacles that you have come across while trying uh, to uh, develop this um, pattern of this breathe model in your life? What, what hurdles yeah. should people be aware of? Sure. Well, another good question. Both my experience as well as research says there are two or three kind of common challenges. One of them is when we practice this, we ask ourselves, because we live in such a therapeutic culture, like, well, what is this doing for me right now? Is this really working? So when someone who's just beginning this, that's going to be a question like, well, this just seems like, what's it really doing? Mm-hmm. The reality is, though, research tells us that over time there are profound benefits, body benefits, relational benefits, spiritual benefits. So one of them is like questioning the value of it. Secondly is mind-wandering. We've all experienced that. Like we're in winter prayer time and we really want to communicate with God. And in 60 seconds, we're thinking about the NFL game coming up this Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it actually is a brain thing. Research tells us that every 12 seconds, the basic component of our brain called the neuron is looking for energy. It doesn't find energy. It quits firing. And when, and when that happens is the attention that those neurons are helping you focus on, attention goes somewhere else. Hmm. So... In the book, I talk about ways that instead of when, when you when your mind wanders, instead of saying, oh, man, my mind wandered again, approach it like, okay, Lord, thank you for reminding me that my mind wandered. I'll come back to my practice. Hmm. So I think those are the two biggest um, challenges, questioning the value of it, and the value really is there. Hmm. And secondly is realizing that your mind is going to wander. Just the more you do it, the less your mind wanders and or the quicker you catch yourself mind-wandering so you can get back to your practice. Yeah, so it becomes second nature with time and with with, uh, yeah. Yeah. with persistent effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You talk about uh, the need for anchor verses while you're practicing holy noticing. Can you, can you talk about why anchor verses, well, first of all, what they are, why they're important, and maybe a couple that, that you think would be helpful for people? Yeah. Well, in the first through third centuries, uh, a number of Christians left the cities, partly because of persecution, partly because when Christianity became legal in the Roman world, they left the cities, they went to the desert, seeing the desert as a laboratory to learn to deepen their walk with Jesus. And we actually have a lot of historical records of these uh, desert mothers and fathers, as they were called, practicing these practices like mindfulness. Mm. And when they did that, they tightly tied Scripture to the practice, and that's another huge distinctive, distinctive uh, difference between cultural practice and Christian practice. Mm-hmm. So there's this rich, uh, rich number of writings that have been translated that reflect their their practice, and they tie scriptures to it. And I would say uh, there are probably two or three that really stand out. Now, for each one of the components the, in the brief model, I suggest two or three verses, and I encourage people to memorize those so that you don't have to use as much of your brain to remember them, and it allows you to be able to meditate on them more easily. But one of them is Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, uh, urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, the body piece. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that is a key verse. It hits both our body, it's our mind. Another key verse is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the fruit of the Spirit closely matches a lot of our emotions. 
So those are two key passages that are that are you know well known in, uh, in churches and among Christians, but are really crucial for practicing mindfulness. Yeah, I think it's it's important to as you are thinking about what your anchor verses might be to make sure that they are verses that specifically kind of bring you into this place of mindfulness, bring you into kind of awareness and openness um, to what God is doing and that kind of stuff. So, so maybe, you know, like my favorite verse from Psalm three, arise, O Lord, and smack my enemies in the face. <laughs> Not the best um, anchor verse, right, Charles? <laughs> <laughs> Probably would not be the best thing. <laughs> well, I noticed Unless that you really have a hard time with somebody. Yeah, you're really yeah. struggling. I'm going to take this one in. Yeah, I'm really mindful of my yeah. rage on this one. <laughs> right, right. Well, those verses that you that you gave us, Romans 12, 1 and two, and Galatians five twenty two and twenty three, really combat one of the um, one of the hurdles that you talked about a second ago, which is which is doubting the value of holy noticing altogether, because those those verses. Baked right into those verses is the idea and the affirmation of the importance of these practices and meditating on these yeah. things. And so those are those you kind of get a uh, uh, you get a double dip out of those ones because you get an encouraging verse that's formative and you get something that reinforces the discipline you're trying to develop. Yes. So that's those are great ones. That's Thank great. you. So so why would you say is is obedience an essential component in holy noticing? Well, you know, sometimes, and I've been guilty of this, I'm sure many, many times, uh, our devotional practices can be um, simply tools to feel better. And you know, it, it's okay to feel better. It's okay to feel God's peace. I'm not diminishing that. But if our devotional practices, including mindfulness, are simply therapeutic, I think we've missed the point. Ultimately, uh, John Ortberg says, he's, you know, he writes a lot about spiritual formation, is you, you do these kinds of practices so that when, in the heat, when the heat comes, we're able to respond like Jesus would want us to respond. So that's why I put, I put the E on it, breathe, which means engage the world like Christ. There's a term used in the mindfulness literature called state and trait. Hmm. State mindfulness would be like when we're on vacation and we're looking at the ocean and we just have this real sense that God is here and then we have to go back home, we have to face reality. We're no longer kind of feeling all warm and excited about because we're having to deal with stress. Right, the state However, changes. However, trait mindfulness is when you do go back, even though you may not feel exactly like you did, you're able to live out a life of obedience, uh, responding in an appropriate way in those difficult situations. So. Obedience is absolutely essential because that is really the fruit of these practices in the prayer closet, you might say, in your devotional time. Mm. It shows up in day-to-day living. Mm. That's good. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about, as we kind of start wrapping things up, what changes have you seen in people or or heard of uh, in people who've read the book and have engaged this process? Have you seen a, a transformational journey happening with people? Yeah, in fact, I did a, a research study when I was um, 
and one of my degrees, I got this interesting degree on an executive master's in the neuroscience of leadership, and so I actually did my master's final paper thesis on mindfulness for the Christian leader, which provided the foundation for the book. Cool. I did a study of like 80 pastors. They did a pre and post um, evaluation, and one of the the one of the the um, things that the evaluation looked at was emotional reactivity. So in the pre and post, those who did five out of seven, just 15, 10 to 15 minute minutes of mindfulness, they showed a clear drop in emotional reactivity. So there's a clear, clear, and of course, all, all the other research indicates this too, but this is just a small research paper or research mm-hmm. project I did. Decrease in emotional reactivity. Also, some things I've seen personally in me, I'm less defensive because I'm calmer inside so therefore, if someone disagrees with me, I can step back and say, okay, I do not have to give a quick response out of the gate. I can be with that response, even though it's one I may not want to hear. Yeah. Also, other people, as they've read the book and practiced mindfulness, there is a greater sense of God's peace, of calm, and creating space between the stimulus of a moment that would tempt us to you know, yell or get angry or respond in a negative way. There's more space to think and be present as the Holy Spirit directs us to make the right response. So there are multiple, multiple positive benefits of holy noticing and practicing mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love uh, in your book where you talk about how between stimulus and response there is space, and yep. that space mm-hmm. that, that, that we can use and that God can use to help us mm-hmm. react. In a, and, and you talk about... Can I just ask you real quick, will you put a little definition on what you mean when you say emotional reactivity? I want to make sure that people understand what, what that what that is. Yeah, okay. Emotional reactivity, another word would be uh, quick defensiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be emotions where I just blurt something out. It right. could be an emotion of fear, and I just cut you off. And there's different ways emotional reactivity shows up. It could right. be outwardly, or it could be inwardly, yeah, yeah. Where, where it really controls our behavior. Right. You're, you're not. Is, what you're not saying is that when you enter into a, a lifestyle of holy noticing, that you stop experiencing strong emotions, but that those emotions, um, you're able to respond to those emotions in a uh, in a healthier, better, and more Christ-like yes. way. Yes, um, it's responding in the heat of the moment rather than reacting in the heat of the moment. Yeah, that's good. perfect. That's good. All right, well, let's let's talk about some doables real quick as we start wrapping up. Doable time. Sure. So, so, so what would you say is, is one simple and doable step that a listener can take to adopt a holy noticing approach this week? Yeah. Well, um, there's a little app. I don't, I'm not in the company, but it's a little app called Time Out. And, you know, a lot of us spend time behind the computer. Time Out is an app you can put on your computer. You can set it to come on every 30 minutes or an hour, hour and a half, whatever you want. And what it does, it slowly dims your screen for whatever you set it to, a minute, two minutes, three minutes. So I have mine set every hour and seven minutes. That's just what I picked. Mm-hmm. Every hour and seven minutes, let's say I'm working on a, a message or, or a project, it slowly dims my screen. That's a reminder for me to step back. I close my eyes. I take a few deep breaths, and I practice a, a bit of mindfulness. In three minutes, screen goes back to normal. So I would really encourage well, your listeners to 
get something like that. You can also use your smartwatch. I have an Apple Watch. can do the same thing. You can set, there's a Breathe app on it. You can set it to come on three, four, five, six, eight times during the day. It taps you on your wrist, and you take about a minute. You do some breathing exercises. So that's a simple, doable step that you can do because we all need help to be to remind ourselves mm. to pause and take a break and it actually reflects a discipline from uh, way back in uh, the uh, early or early first second third century something called stadio where these um, monks would actually stop physically and mentally stop between one activity and the next and it was called stadio it's time for them to recalibrate to finish up in their mind what happened before and prepare themselves for what was coming up. So I, those little tools can help practice that stadio discipline. That's great. You know, that, that stadio discipline just came up with a, uh, another guest, or actually a pair of guests we had on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, it's interesting how these things converged. Um, and they talked about the, the practice of arriving early is kind of built into that stadio, that you yeah, create yeah. space between engagements and between things that that fill your day so that you can have the space to be sensitive to God's leading and and sometimes little things like show kindness to people that you'd otherwise be rushing past you know and yeah. would miss along the way and that's great I, I also want to as doables um, make sure all our listeners are reminded to to check out this book go get the book uh, we'll link to it so so people can buy it straight by clicking through the show notes um, and also go to charlesstone.com. I know you. I know you blog there as well, so they can check out your other resources, your other books, and uh, maybe get to know you and and learn from you a little bit more as well. Any other things you'd like to plug as we wrap up? I would just encourage listeners to learn the art of being fully present, slowing down, learn to be present in the moment, and you'll find this an incredible new dimension of walking with Jesus as as we all learn to do that. Oh, wonderful. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot, Charles. We really appreciate your time and coming on the show with us. Great to be with you. All right, listeners, thanks for for tuning in this week. We'll see you again next Tuesday. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of video content. And if you're already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app, so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com doable to check out all our previous episodes. And go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events. Lastly, you can always get in touch with us by emailing maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question just might inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Doug Jones, and I hope you'll join us again next week.